The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Um, I will call to order the City Council study session for Monday, February 7th. I don't believe that we need a roll call, so we jump right into, do we need a, we don't need a roll call for study session. I don't think so. So we can jump right into the American cell tower discussion. Start there. Wait a minute, I gotta, you know, You're also here to discuss here is here from Buffalo. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I apologize to everyone. I had not eaten today. It's amazing working. Just go to the MML okay. and do that one first. Okay. Parker is She's having a little trouble getting on from the American Tower. Okay. So who's introducing the uh, MML portion? I could do that. Uh, Thank you. Mayor and Council, we've uh, you're you're uh, the selected body have voted to proceed with uh, MML for the executive search. We have signed the agreement with MML, and our uh, representative that we've been assigned is Joyce Parker. My understanding, Ms. Parker uh, worked with the City of Lakewood Village back in 2018, and she is on the line. She's here to give a quick overview and answer any questions you may have. I know one of the main things that Ms. Parker would like to do is set a schedule for uh, the profiling of what you, what you're looking for uh, in this next next executive search. Okay. Um, welcome, Ms. Parker. Again. Oh, uh, good afternoon, a good evening to everyone, uh, to uh, the mayor and members of the city council. Uh, your uh, police chief um, had requested that I be uh, a part of the meeting tonight to kind of talk about the process, given that uh, there may be new people involved in the process. 
And so, you know, what I'd like to do is maybe uh, touch base with you on the various steps that um, is part of the recruitment process and try to answer any questions that you might have. Can everyone hear me? Yep, we hear you fine, thank you. Okay, Does all right. have any questions for Ms. Parker? Okay, so uh, in terms of the um, recruitment process, generally there's uh, three meetings that take place with um, the mayor and the council and the staff and the community. Uh, the first meeting is to uh, work together to develop profiles. Um, and there's three profiles that uh, we need in order to get the search process underway. Uh, one is related to the candidate uh, in terms of what your requirements will be for those that apply for the position. So we make that determination early in the process. And then uh, the second profile is related to a community profile that describes the community uh, as part of our brochure that we'll develop. Uh, in addition to the, the community, we also talk about any um, issues or challenges related to um, the city. And we talk about the attributes related to the city as well. And then the other part as part of the community profile is really uh, identifying the attributes that you'd like to see with your candidate for the position. And then the third, um, profile is just related overall to the organization in order to share information with candidates for the position about the city organization, uh, the structure, um, the number of staff, the budget, information that will help candidates determine if they are um, interested in moving forward to the next step related to applying for the position. And then um, the other area that we'll cover during that first meeting is uh, establishing um, a schedule for the search. And what I'll do is provide prior to the meeting um, a draft proposal related to the tentative schedule. And so those are the areas that we'll cover during that first meeting. And then hopefully, if not tonight, um, very soon after the meeting tonight, if I could get a date uh, that the city council will be available for this profiling session, I can get that on my calendar as well. The second meeting in the process, once we do the profiling, uh, we actually go to that step where we advertise the position on behalf of the city and the position is advertised uh, in, in various uh, media as far as with um, MML. They, MML actually uh, have a classified section where the information will be advertised. We normally advertise with the International City County Management Association and other um, organizations that are affiliated with management positions. And then if there are certain um, areas or organizations where you think we should also advertise, we can include that as part of that process and as part of our second meeting for discussion. Um, in the second meeting, we actually, once the position is advertised, 
Um, what I will do is put together two reports for um, the city council. One is related to uh, all of the candidates and how they meet uh, your requirements for the position. Um, the information related to each candidate is, is stated in the report by number due to confidentiality. And uh, what I do as part of that report is compare each candidate with your requirements for the position so that you can have a, a better understanding of how each candidate really meet those requirements. Uh, in addition to the candidate summary, which I just referenced, I also put together um, a report on potential semifinalists for the position. And uh, I provide additional detail related to each one of those individuals or candidates. Uh, generally, I will interview all candidates that meet all of your requirements prior to putting together this report. And then based on the interview and the other information that I gather prior to this meeting, uh, I make recommendations on those that should be considered, but certainly the final decision is uh, the city council, but I try to provide that information as a starting point as part of that process. Now, uh, during the second meeting, we also would request that um, as part of the review, the city council determine uh, potentially which candidates they would like to interview and we'll discuss uh, a date for interviews, um, the type of interview process, uh, the type of questions that can be developed as part of the interview process. And um, if there is a meet and greet, we also uh, discuss the meet and greet that is being considered so that we can uh, coordinate with uh, the city to get everything underway. And so all of those things hopefully will be discussed during that second meeting. And um, at that point, I can go back to um, the candidates to let them know what the status is. If they're invited in for an interview, uh, generally what occurs, I, I make contact with them. Once they accept the interview and we have an opportunity to conduct a, a reference check and some other checks related to their background and their experience, the information is then forwarded on to the city. And at that point, um, the candidate no longer has confidentiality. And so that's part of that second process or second phase in the process. And then um, thirdly, I guess once we uh, schedule the date and the candidates are uh, notified of, of their invitation to participate and the actual date of the interviews take place, um, we will interview each one of the candidates. Uh, I will be there with uh, the city council to facilitate the process throughout the entire day. And uh, once you interview the candidates, based on what occurs, um, sometimes uh, city councils look at second interviews. Other times, if there's a candidate that really stand out, uh, the city council might feel comfortable um, making a conditional offer based on a background check, as well as contract negotiations. 
And so uh, that part would be determined after you interview the candidates and decide what direction you like you would like to take. And so with that, once you actually um, identify your finalists for the position as part of the um, agreement that you have with MML, we will facilitate a background check related to the finalists for the position. Uh, if there is a need for any additional follow-up, certainly that's something that MML will also be involved with as well. And so that's primarily the, the process that we would follow. And uh, I'm certainly open to any questions that you might have at this time. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering when do you get resident input into the profile development? Well, when we, um, when I come back for the, the second meeting, uh, once we identify uh, the number of candidates that we have and the process that you would like to follow, we would actually have a discussion about uh, community involvement. Um, and that process primarily is determined by the city. So for example, if you decide you wanna do a meet and greet, uh, basically that's a reception where you might invite uh, the community in Either they can be in as part of um, observing the candidates uh, prior to interviews, or they can be a part of the process during the interview, not necessarily participating, but observing uh, the interviews themselves. And so that's something that really is determined by the city. And uh, you know, certainly we can work with you as far as getting invitations out if you'd like to invite members of the community or your stakeholders in for a reception. And so that would take place probably um, before the interviews take place, but as part of our discussion during that second meeting. Okay, so there isn't, a, isn't an opportunity for residents to have input into what the candidate looks like, what, what we're looking for. I, I thought that was part of the process. But, that, that is, um, it's my understanding in the, um, the agreement that you have, there is a component in the agreement for a meet and greet, which is the reception. Now, the structure of the reception. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, the structure of the reception really depends on how you would like to see it structured. And that's part of our discussion that would take place during that second meeting. And that would be prior to any interviews being scheduled. Okay. And then uh, you're, you talked about the, you would interview the candidates. What does your candidate interview process look like? I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear the question. What does your candidate interview process look like when you're, you said you would interview all the candidates that meet the requirements? Yes. What does your process look like? So uh, what I do is actually evaluate each one of the resumes based on the requirements established by the city for the position. So for example, if you require a master's degree, uh, if you require experience in certain areas like um, economic development, I evaluate and screen each one of the candidates prior to uh, putting together my report. As part of the interview with each candidate, uh, I cover 
details related to their uh, background and experience and how it relates to the position for the um, city of Lathrop Village. Um, I also ask a series of questions that will provide some insight on various attributes that a community might want to see with their uh, next manager. Uh, I try to get some insight, for example, related to any primary issues that you might raise uh, as one of your concerns as part of the profiling process. And um, I ask specific questions related to um, their strengths, their skills and abilities, um, um, whether what kind of communities they currently work in versus other communities they've worked in. But I try to get a fairly good understanding of um, their background, their experience, skills and abilities, and how it relates to your position. Thank you. Does anyone else have any questions? How, how's the uh, candidate pool, uh, given the, the current uh, job situation, uh, situation with COVID and so forth? Is it, is it a good pool relative to normal, or is there a lot of candidates that you've been seeing with some of your other searches, or how, how's it looking? Well, with uh, the searches that I've had uh, within the last um, six months, I would say that right now the candidate pool seems to be pretty stable and consistent. Um, I think a big key related to the, the candidate pool is the community itself, um, the stability of the community, um, how the candidate might fit. They look at all of those things in terms of their interest in a position. But I think overall, there's been quite a bit of interest in various positions through MML. Good. Thank you. Any other questions? Well, thank you, Ms. Parker. And we will make sure that we get um, a doodle poll out um, or some type of poll to figure out when we will um, have a meeting with you, when we can all meet. Okay, sounds great. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Okay. Madam Mayor, if we could get down to item B. I know that um, Ms. Scott Help is, Help is here with us, and I know she has a limited amount of time. That's fine. So we're going to be skipping down to um, discussion item D, which is the Butsell Long update. And we have um, Beth, and I don't want to um, ruin your last name. Uh, <laughs> how do you say your last name? It's Gat Health. Not as complicated as it looks. <laughs> how about Miss Beth? <laughs> Go ahead. That uh, works perfect. <laughs> I invited Beth to, to join us this evening based off of our conversation we had last week uh, with respect to the revised invoice that we set. Um, Long has uh, proposed to, to re has proposed a revision in the invoice that was submitted previously to the city. I know that there were some questions, specific questions about the billing invoices and, and the city, we didn't actually receive uh, an updated invoice that reflected which charges were reduced or how, how the reduced amount was calculated. But I, uh, I did invite Beth so that she could answer some of the specific questions that the council raised. Um, about the invoice. So I'll turn it over to council if they have questions for her or for the discussion. Okay. 
Anyone have any questions? I do. Sure. Um, was, uh, did anybody write up an agreement between Buffalo Long and us, the city? Do we have some kind of a? There was, there was a fee agreement. There was a, um, a retainer agreement that was that was signed by the city. That's correct, right, Beth? It's an engagement letter that was to bill by hour. We were at hourly rate. Oh, I'm sorry, did we, did we limit your time or did we put a time or financial constraint? I couldn't understand the questioner. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't hear what you said. Say it again. Oh, I'm sorry. Was there a time constraint or a financial constraint written into the agreement? Yes, Councilwoman, there was no um, financial limit or cap on it. Um, there was a, um, nor were we limited in our amount of hours. There was, the time constraint was that um, city council had a very, very short deadline and they wanted us to drop everything we were doing and to get on this right away and get answers and, you know, full press because this was something of great importance to you and it was going to affect your upcoming election and you owed some information to Oakland County. Any further questions? Yeah, I guess the, the, the hard part about this whole thing is, at least for me, um, and having sat on the other other council, I know we had put a, a given a retainer for five thousand dollars, and you know I, I understand there was a compressed time frame, but we had no notification whatsoever <clears throat> in terms of the fact that we were getting close to that retainer. I mean, I kind of equate it to. You know, taking your car in for service, you, you get an estimate, and you know if they're going to go over that estimate, they let they let you know. And it, it just seemed like it was it was quite a shock to receive the initial bill. You know when uh, you know I think the members of the old council were thinking that we were at about five thousand dollars because we hadn't heard anything subsequent to that that we're getting close to the number of hours, we're getting close to the number you know, to, to the dollars that, that we had in the retainer. So I, I think the assumption was that we would have heard something that we didn't, and I think that was was really frustrating. And, and frankly, I mean, it was it was pretty shocking when we saw that 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 bill. And it was five times more than five times more than what what the previous council had expected. I can't address what the council expected because we didn't have communication with them on that. They said we were just told this is a rush. And um, because the other thing is we were given very little direction because as I understand it, city council wanted to ensure that Butzel had no preconceived notions of any results. And so therefore we were just told, you know, look at these affidavits, look at these um, petitions and um, tell us what, you know, is there any issues? Is there problems? Does it comply with state law? Does it comply with local law? Tell us what you see. So um, it was kind of fairly, um, I don't want to say wide open, but it, it didn't give us a lot of directions. Had we had the insight 
of some of the concerns that were discussed um, by the council members during their meetings and say, this is the real concerns we had. We had this concern, that concern, and the others. It would have helped us focus more on those and could have limited um, you know, the, the legal time spent, definitely. But, and, and the fact that you were rushed, you know, that you did have such little time. Um, we did have um, an associate at a lower level do the vast majority of the work in order to keep the cost down. Virtually all my work was not charged. Um, we had, you know, Justice Wilder, Supreme Court judge, um, do a lot of this work and, and, you know, a lot of his time wasn't written down either. But at the end of the day, we understand what your concerns are. Your attorney has, has made them clear. He's a very, you know, effective, efficient uh, attorney. And um, he has said that you raise concerns. And so um, it's a large bill, you know, 28,339. And um, we have, um, agreed to cut it down to 20,000 in light of a lot of different things. So that's a 30% discount. That is something, you know, in our books, enormous. I had to go to our finance committee. In fact, uh, I'm still have to get my final approval from them, but I told them I was meeting with you, but I've had to go through a lot of hoops to get it down to that amount of time. And also, I just want to point out one other thing, which made it a little bit more difficult for me is that um, this bill was sent last year and it took, um, you know, several months before the issue was raised with us, which something that just, as I said, made it difficult for me with, uh, my finance committee. The bill was dated, um, October 31st and it was, and you raised it, um, just before Christmas. anyone else have any other questions? Well, thank you um, for coming. Um, I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah, if there's, if there's not, nothing additional from council, I mean, this, again, this, uh, just so Beth is aware, um, this was put on the agenda for approval and it failed for lack of a second. Um, so, not that you want to tell us what you're going to do, Beth. You have to sue the city, but if this doesn't get approved and this invoice isn't paid, what what's the next step? Uh, just so that council hears it directly from you and not me. What's the next step for me if you don't pay the legal bill? Correct. Oh my goodness! I hope we don't have to go there. <laughs> I, you know, so that we wouldn't have to go there. That is why um, we made what is considered a huge um, concession to you, which is cutting down the bill by 30%. And again, you know, there was a lot of my time I didn't even bill and, and Justice Wilder's time wasn't billed because we really were trying to um, get your answers. And then after, you know, you got the final opinion letter, we still had um, follow-up questions that you had and we tried to respond to those. Um, you know, I remember one was the affidavit for Councilwoman uh, Kinez, 
you know, that was, that's the only one I can remember off the top of my head that went back and forth several times because you had a concern about the date of that and when it was notarized, et cetera. So there were, as I said, we really tried to address your concerns and give you timely, responsive, you know, information and advice. Well, thank you um, for coming. Yeah, and hopefully you now have enough information to get this uh, bill approved and get it paid. Thank you, Ms. Beck. Um, we're going to jump back to the American cell power discussion with uh, Lauren Franklin or Lorraine Franklin. Lorraine. Yes, I said that. Thank you. I'm sorry for mispronouncing it. That's okay. Everybody does. Um, you want to give introduction, or Susie going to give the introduction for it? So you have uh, Miss Laureen Franklin on from. Um, she's with Tower Alliance. Um, she's their senior lease consultant, and so. Um, she is representing American Cell Tower. And so as you have requested, um, they have someone from American Cell Tower come and speak to you about the lease agreement and um, what has been proposed. And so we have Marie here to answer those questions. Thank you. Does everyone have the um, document, uh, just a letter that I had sent out to um, the city probably uh, October of last year. It's, yes. It's not a yes, it's been in previous packets. How would you like me to just, you know, go through what our request was and why we were making it or what is going to be easiest for the council? Yes, um, if you could, if you could uh, go through what your request was and, and sort of your intentions behind that, that would be really helpful. Okay, um, not a problem. Um, over the course of the last several years, there have been a number of consolidations and mergers that have taken place within the cell tower industry. And that has left us basically with uh, three major uh, tenants that uh, we are able to market to. It, also with the merger of T-Mobile and Sprint last year, all of the contracts were renegotiated between the cell carriers and uh, the tower companies, not only American Tower, but the other major tower company in the country, which is um, Crown Castle. Um, so what that caused is all of the tower companies to look at all of the individual sites and what they were trying to do is eliminate risk and increase the value for not only the landowner's long-term revenue, but also for the tower company and their you know, profitability. We now have to look at each individual site as its own individual profit center. And in order to do that, we looked at all the sites individually. And um, with this particular location, um, I sent out a request that we were looking to request a rent reduction. 
um, not a huge rent reduction, but a you know small rent reduction, so that we could keep the site uh, within um, the profitable margin instead of letting it go into a, a negative margin. And um, we asked if you were willing to look at the uh, escalator that is in your current contract, because right now the escalator in your current contract is based on a CPI with a 5% uh, maximum annual, although it is pay paid on a term basis. So essentially the escalation on the base rent on this site could be 25% every five years. Our contracts with the cell carriers limit us to 10% every five years. And so we don't want any site to get into the situation where the rent being paid is outpacing the rent that we are receiving. Uh, so that is basically it. We are looking to maintain the site as part of our long-term portfolio. We would like to you know, keep it as part of our long-term portfolio, but we do have to address the financials. That was one of the ways that I proposed in that letter to address the financials is to um, get the rent slightly lower, get the escalation in line with our current master leases that we have with carriers. Um, you also have a revenue share component to this lease. That revenue share component would not be affected. The other option uh, that many landowners are taking a look at um, because it's a good capital infusion. We do have a lease buyout program where we will take an easement agreement on the leased area and give you a lump sum payment in exchange or in lieu of future rents. And I ran the numbers again because they um, are uh, variable and currently you're looking at roughly, um, I think it was 875,000 as a uh, lease buyout if that was uh, more of a you know beneficial financial agreement for the city. Questions? Thank you. Um, does anyone have any questions? Well, yeah, do you know the specifics of the revenue share? Um, portion of our currently? Uh, yes. Yeah, hang on one second. I'm going to pull up another document here. <clears throat> yes, I apologize for not being on at the start of the meeting. I was having some incredible technical difficulties and not getting any sound through my computer. Um, the revenue share component comes from T-Mobile and T-Mobile is paying uh, roughly $20,000 uh, a year in revenue share. So the, the 20,000 is 
20,000 that we're getting as our revenue share or yeah that's that's the portion that you are getting you are getting 20,000 approximately a little bit more than 20,000 in revenue share and your rent is about $20,600 annually however you are paid monthly those are annual figures So the total revenue on the site is um, about 41,000 annually. Any other questions? Um, I was just, now you would purchase the property or you would just, how, how no. does that work? Yeah, no, it's not a purchase of the property. It is, we take a, an easement on only the leased area. Um, it, very similar to what an electric, you know, utility would have is an easement. Uh, the title does not change hands. So all we are doing or would do is take an easement on that property um, that is currently under the lease and described in the lease. Okay. And would you be able to do something else with it down the road? How long is the lease for? 16 um, is that what? No, if, if we did a lease, what we call a lease buyout via an easement agreement, it is only for communications purposes. Um, typically, the if we do it as a term easement for the full value, it is a 60-year term easement. And even if towers are no longer needed during that term and we take the tower down, um, we can't do anything else with the easement. The easement would just revert back to the city. Okay. Any other questions? Hearing none, thank you, Lorraine, for coming. We uh, appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And if anyone has any follow-up questions, uh, you have my email. Feel free to reach out to me, and I'll give you as much detail as I possibly can. Thank you all for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so now we're at C um, to discuss the generator quote update. Yes, Mayor and Council, um, this is an ongoing project. I met with uh, Detroit Electric today and Lee Contracting as well as Consumers Energy. Um, I have an appointment with Echo Electric tomorrow. We're getting close. The, the folks still are not in yet. The issue we're having uh, moving forward is going to be how long it's going to take us to get a generator. Uh, quote I got today, or an estimate of what I got today, was 46 weeks. So we're looking at almost a year before we actually have a generator for the city. Um, so it's ongoing. It's uh, as soon as I have the quotes, we'll, we'll get them to council. Okay. Does anyone have any questions? Questions, I should say. Okay, well, we will thank you for the information. Um, we'll jump down to E, uh, proposed charter amendment, cannabis. So, uh, I think it was two meetings ago, I, I provided council with a, a draft charter amendment that would opt out um, opt the city out 
definitely from the from the cannabis um, industry. That that was one um, one method of doing it. To, and again, this more of a discussion on this because um, I'm, I'm thinking about it. And one of the things that had come up um, in another community was the that community's inability to submit ordinances to the, the voters or the residents to, to determine. Now our charter does provide us that opportunity to submit an ordinance to the voters and, and make a decision on that ordinance. Uh, the scenario that I envision or potentially envision and it was kind of brought to light further uh, this past week with uh, the dolphin green, the dolphin green, green dolphin. dolphin. Um, that organization, so they, they have received no approvals from the city of Lathrop Village. They haven't submitted anything to the city of Lathrop Village, but they've already filed and received a pre-qualification from the state of Michigan. So just thinking about this hypothetically, let's say that there's a, um, a question that's presented to the voters, should this ordinance be repealed? If it's repealed at that time, the city hasn't opted in or opted out does does that, or and potentially I think it does, does that allow individuals or entities with conditional approval from the state to then convert that into a full approval? Because at that point, by default, the city would be opted in. And since there are no standards or procedures set forth under local ordinance, those entities would, would be free as long as they've got state approval to operate their business at their proposed location. So that would mean that election results come out and become certified uh, the week following, they could open up shop on, on Wednesday if they wanted to. So that's, that's obviously the scenario that we're trying to avoid where we then, now we have legally non-conforming organizations that are operating within the city and, and haven't gone through the city's um, application process, haven't gone through that vetting process, they haven't, um, paid for any of the application fees or, or the uh, fact the, the costs that the city are going to incur to, to process and evaluate these applications. And then once they're there and established, it's very difficult for the city to remove that type of, of an entity. So <clears throat> this, this idea of amending the charter and opting out, in essence, would, would effectively remove the ordinance that's currently on, on the books because it can, can, would conflict with the charter, and then it would also eliminate any opportunity for any entity to uh, begin conducting business within the city during that period of time, because it would be difficult to, um, not impossible, but it would be difficult because an ordinance would require two readings and a publication on an effective date. So if the city were to have it all prepped to say we introduced it to the first reading in October and the second reading, <laughs> Um, you know, after the after the election, before the results came official, there still is that publication and effective date window um, that might not line up perfectly, and so you would have. Uh, and again, this is this is assuming that the residents voted to repeal the ordinance. So, you know, another scenario where if there's been a first reading and let's say the residents don't repeal the ordinance and it remains in effect, now you, in essence introduced and started an ordinance to opt out when your residents have just told you they want to be opted in, remain opted in. So, so this, this charter thing is amendment is starting to look 
sound better in my head than more so than when I first introduced it. But I know that uh, Councilwoman Kenneth brought this up and wanted to say it tonight. So I'll turn it over and uh, try to answer any questions that, that you may have, or we can continue the discussion uh, about how the city wants to approach this. Uh, so if we amend the charter, we there's no need to do anything with the ordinance. The charter will. Because you correct the charter amendment would rescind any ordinances in conflict with and and we could you know formally rescind that ordinance and clean it up so that it's not no longer there. But but the if, if that were approved by the voters that that would effectively supersede and trump the ordinance that was uh, previously enacted. So Not in the in the ballot language if we did a charter could we put an effective date. For the ordinance for the uh, you know for it to take effect, so that way then we would then have time we wouldn't fall into that potential situation. We could, you know, that that is one option, um, and that, and the state had has done that previously with other ballot initiatives where they put an effective date. So so that is an option, but again, I don't know. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't like leaving that window open because uh, that stuff. Is always subject to interpretation, and unfortunately, the law instead of being black and white is often very gray. So, I, I I would like to have a scenario that is airtight as possible to avoid that overlap. Um, but that that is another possibility that I did consider is, is having, say, a January first effective date or something that would allow the city time to to um, amend the ordinances appropriate. So if we amend an ordinance, we don't, this is it. We just put this on the ballot. We don't have to go through the taking off the old and putting on a new ordinance. Correct. It, it, and again, it's, it, you're right, absolutely. It, it would trump any ordinance because it's a charter amendment. Um, again, it's, it, it's just one option. I mean, there, there are other ways that we could do it. And we had talked about Putting the, the ordinance that has been approved on the ballot, doing a, a delayed um, effective date, while also putting a ballot question that not only repeals or potentially repeals, but also um, enacts a new ordinance that would opt the city out via the ballot provision. The, the, the reluctance I have is that is that the will of the council was to keep it as simple as possible and not, not to overly complicate the issue, overcomplicate the ballot question. Um, so in, in an effort to try and keep it as simple as possible, that's that's how and why I provided you with that. And again, it's um, and that's the question. It's yeah, that's one option. That yeah, I think it you're looking at yeah, very simple, straightforward, uh, one sentence that would be on the ballot that uh, shall the city, shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't shall cause the city much confusion. village charter be amended to prohibit all cannabis establishments within the boundaries of the city. After that language, find out what the, uh, the all in that language, does that bring into any conflict with the other primary caregiver? Or is it just, yeah, because you can't right. look at it though. Right, I mean, so those are already permitted and those wouldn't be subject to, and I'll have to double check that, but those, I, because they're not open to the general public, it's not a retail establishment. Um, I, 
it, it may need some further specification that any any retail cannabis business or so we could just yeah well not not just retail but it would be anything under uh, michigan recreational whatever the rest of the acronym we have so many <laughs> but so there's, there's there's medical marijuana there's caregivers and then there's uh, recreational so this this amendment would be aimed specifically at the medical and recreational cannabis industry the caregiver is a different it's a patient provider relationship that uh, the city does not have the ability to preclude but they can regulate and we have already done that we've established an overlay district it's the office district or a portion of the office district that has been designated as the provisioning center for, for caregivers and, and then again that was done that was done last about a year February. ago that was yeah, last, was last February. February. And, and that was, again, primarily because individuals were utilizing that as a loophole, as a way to get around the, uh, the licensing requirements for the state um, to be a recreational or a medical facility. They would enlist a number of patients, but there was no, at the state level, there's no registry or accountability. So you could have four different, you could be a caregiver for four different groups of people. And instead of only having five patients in yourself, you could have 20 patients. Well, now you're you're growing and producing a significant amount of marijuana. Um, and, and a lot of that was taking place. We, have, we did have uh, situations and instances where that was being done in the residential district. There were a couple homes that these facilities were operational at. And unfortunately, until we enacted that ordinance, we didn't have a, a mechanism to, to preclude them from the residential neighborhoods. So, so that is and has been an effect, and I think the chief can weigh in. But I think we've gotten rid of all of those that we're aware of. I um, believe so. I, I don't receive any complaints. It is winter time and people are inside. We get more of those complaints in the summertime, but uh, as of right now, it's been uh, pretty quiet. And is there something related to the general election that we need to determine if we decide to move forward or do we? Put it up as a special election. You're pretty confident not scoring and not being able to score is going to keep. Yeah, I'm absolutely confident. I mean, unless the city adopts a resolution opening up the application period, there is no way that uh, cannabis business could submit an application or have an application evaluated by the city. So the city, the fact that the city has opted in and has identified the types and the number of facilities that they will allow and the procedure by which they will allow them, it prevents the scenario that I described earlier where an entity could obtain a conditional license and then without any oversight or input from the community, open up a facility in that community. So the, um, and, and that was, you know, that's kind of been what I've explained um, throughout this process. I think that that has been the protection initially why, um, why we, why, you know, as a city, we, we kind of had an opinion that, uh, well, I say as a consultant, and I can want to speak for the chief, but I know we had previously held some town hall meetings and, and we were opposed to opting in. We were opposed to allowing or carving out this. Um, this the mechanism for this industry to come into the city but the more we learned about it and, and we were educated by a lot of the outside consultants and the 
um, members of the industry that the way we did it actually provided the city with more protection and more control than just not doing anything. So that's, um, that is right now, there's 0% chance that a, a organization could legally open up a recreational or, or a medical facility in the city. Well, no, they, I mean, it, it would, based on what, what I reviewed that you sent over, it appears that they applied for a conditional license for that location. Uh, should, should the city open up, they would, one of the requirements in our, our ordinance was that they be pre-qualified from the state before they even apply to the city. So that organization had the intent or perhaps still has the intent of, of operating a, a recreational dispensary at that location. Now, I believe that location is not in our permitted zone anyway. So no. that's a whole other issue that they would have to address. Yeah. But, but yeah, for, from their perspective, they have gotten all the requisite approvals needed from the state of Michigan. And they, they are simply waiting on the city to open up that application period and submit their application. So. And you are correct that that particular property is in the buffer zone, so it is not in eligible location for a cannabis facility of any kind. I'm not surprised. And, and there may be others too. I didn't look. I mean, there, there could be other Condition, and I, and I would suspect that there are probably several other conditionally approved facilities for the city at various locations within the city. That, that would not surprise me at all. It, it, you know, and just to kind of add, these, these applicants that are, go through this conditional approval, it's, it's a, and this came up during um, the scoring matrix discussion, it's a significant process that they go through. A lot of information that's provided to the state, a lot of um, background information. So I, I, I really believe that any any organization or entity that goes through the process to get the state approval is not going to be running some, uh, you know, sub rosa operation out the back door and by you know potentially jeopardizing their ability to get a, a license from the state. So that's just speculation on my part, but it, it would be really really silly for for an organization to do that. Um, and risk jeopardizing that, that license. Any um, further questions or discussions? Thank you, Scott. Um, next, we have <clears throat> public comment comes before Mayor and Council. So I'm, I'm going to actually flip it because. Um, it should be public comments first. So if anybody wants to respond to it during their um, council comments, they can. So I'm going to open it up for public comments. Speakers are limited to three minutes. And per the Robert Rules of Order, there will be no dialogue or debate with the members of the public. However, the council um, members can respond during their council comments. Is there anybody that um, wants to speak? I don't think anyone's in the other room either, right? Uh, so, you know, one individual that was in there um, actually just signed on um, Zoom, so I don't believe there's anyone in there. 
Uh, anyone on Zoom, um, please raise your hand and I'll unmute you. Hello. Oh, raise my hand. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, quickly, um, thank you guys for opening up to public comment. Um, I just want to commend um, one of the council persons for helping me over the weekend. Um, I was very disappointed. I live close to the U and my son is a freshman there. And over the weekend, <clears throat> he said that he needed to shovel. And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to shovel our driveway. And he said, no, I have to shovel the pathway to school. You know, nobody shovels over there. And I'm thinking like, okay, wait, you walk in the, you know, through the, if you know the way, right through lacrosse to the U, um, it just piles of snow. And he said, no, I need to shovel so it's ready for school. And I end up emailing the superintendent and a councilman, um, Bruce Cantor. I, sorry if I um, mispronounce your last name. And um, he was very helpful. The, the city portion was able to get cleared and the um, school portion was cleared as well Sunday night. So I do wanna publicly, publicly commend him for um, helping me in such a quick time and um, making sure that my son has a clear path to school. And I will say, I do hope that we don't have to scramble like this in the future, because we know there's more snow to come. So if we can please just be cognizant of that area um, and maybe just make sure that somebody is um, visiting to that, visiting that area, that path, especially after a snowstorm, that will be great. Thank you. Thank you for letting us know. There any, was there anyone in the other room? Was there anyone else that wanted to speak that's on Zoom? Doesn't look like it. So we'll move on to mayor and uh, council comments. Um, I'm assuming that regarding what Ms. Powell was talking about, it's going to come up in our meeting with the Southfield uh, School Board um, from or Southfield. I thought it was a whole bunch of things with the yeah, plats and all that. That portion was involved. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I didn't see all of it. Okay. Well, then. I can talk about it. Okay. Um, and I don't think that I have anything either. So, any council person, go ahead. Yeah, I actually have a lot of things. Uh, I right. had a bunch of things for the last two meetings, but they ran so long that I uh, kind of deferred them. Um, so, the first thing, I, I want to go back to the cell tower. Uh, um, Pam had, had forwarded uh, uh, a gentleman to me from uh, PowerPoint to, who had contacted her and, and Pam had initially thought that that was the representative for, for American Tower and got in the conversation and realized it wasn't American Tower and that he was trying uh, to talk to us about something else. So, so I talked to him this morning, um, still pretty confused <laughs> about exactly exactly what kind of service he's offering um he talked very very quickly um but it sounds like the, the gist of it is is instead of like they provide an option instead of leasing to or leasing or selling to american power they become this his organization becomes the leaseholder they provide us with a lump sum which he referred to as being close to what we would be getting to from American Tower. And then they take the responsibility for um, leasing the tower. And anybody they lease to, we split 50-50 the revenue. Um, so if they get, you know, 
T-Mobile and Dish, you know, we would get half of each of those each of those um, uh, lease payments. So it, it it sounds like having your cake and eat it too. I'm I'm a little skeptical, but I did ask him to, to send some uh, information to me and uh, thought that it might be good to have him rather than. <laughs> I thought I'd love to have five people listening to what he has to say instead of just one. So if if, if council is agreeable, I could try to have him come to our next study session and and speak to us and let him know what 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 his company offers. Apparently, they have seven thousand sites that they they do this with. If you can also find out in our contract if they if American Tower adds additional. Uh, Providers, do we get a split of that also? Yeah, that, that's, that's the already in there. Yeah, that's the revenue sharing component that um, right. she, she referenced earlier. Is that, and, and we used to have more carriers. I think we also had Verizon. Um, that was something that was negotiated under the original lease by Matt Quinn. Um, yeah, next. Yeah, yeah. So we, I think we had four on at one point in time. Um, and that, that, uh, very similar to what Bruce is referencing here, that that type of a revenue sharing um, is not uncommon in these agreements. So, but if I'm just saying for future, it's it's included. We'll get it if they add, you know, whoever they add. Yeah, under the current lease, if they yeah. were to renew that on those terms, it, it would be we would continue to see that revenue sharing if there were additional uh, co-locators. Okay, it wouldn't it. Um, we wouldn't see that if we did the, the lease buyout option right. because then they would be free to put as right. many as they it, want. Right. All right, the next thing I have is I want to talk a little bit about is snow removal. And I'm going to, at least the first topic, I'm going to defer a little bit to Scott on because it was one of these things um, uh, from Alicia who just, just spoke on public comment. It was one of these things where you, you take a little issue and you start to look at it and all these other things start to come to light. And basically what that is is there's the sidewalk that runs from the cross to the school gate, as well as the sidewalk that goes in perpendicular to that and runs along the, the city gate. Um, it sounds like because that's along an undeveloped street, Red River, uh, that it's actually the uh, uh, homeowners there that are responsible for clearing those streets. And then as we <laughs> further, um, the it, it appears that along those homes, along that, that fence line, there are structures and landscape and, and so forth that are actually in the right of way, which would require an encroachment license, which is something that we've forced on other residents who were in a similar situation. So then it becomes an issue of, you know, now do we have to bring an encroachment license? And I'll let you more eloquently uh, describe it, but then, then I want to come back and talk a little bit more about the snow, snow shoveling. But. Yeah, so I think um, you can see, I mean, you can look, uh, we'll show and tell here. Um, so come up here, you can see Red River here is actually, it, it has a break here, but it was planted and never developed all the way up to the cross. So that's a, that's a street which section 62-125 of the, of the code of ordinances allocates the responsibility for snow and ice removal to property owners or occupiers adjacent to that street. It's, it's in essence, it's a sidewalk. So in, in reality, and I, and I had asked who, who's been doing this for all these years, who's been shoveling that pathway? In reality, it should be the, those adjacent parcels that are responsible for, for clearing that sidewalk. Um, now, obviously if the city has somebody that's Doing sidewalk removal, we could ask them to, to include that um, because it is it is somewhat of a unique situation given that 
Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no actual street there, so it doesn't really seem like it would be a sidewalk, but, but I think under a strict inter interpretation of the ordinance, it would be the resident's responsibility to, to remove that snow and ice. And then, yes, as, as Bruce indicated, when I started looking at this, and you see all of these uh, structures that are built into the city's property, technically, again, that would require an encroachment license. And there are, there, I'm sure these aren't the only ones in the city that are in this situation. Um, as we've kind of come across them or um, uncovered them, we have required the residents to, to get those encroachment licenses. Most recently, we did the one over here off Lake Boulevard where the street dead ended and the, the resident had been utilizing it uh, as really as their driveway, but uh, they were required to get that uh, encroachment license. So another issue, and, and again, I think it's something that uh, probably should be done. Uh, I anticipate you'll probably get a little, um, the residents might be a little upset because you're asking them one, now you got to shovel the sidewalk and two, um, you have to get a, a license to be able to keep your, your shed or your gazebo or whatever. And I, again, these are, these are things that when I looked at this, these aren't just like a trampoline or something. These look like buildings. So I don't know how they were ever built there um, unless there was some sort of vacation or abandonment of that, which I didn't see. Uh, that roadway, uh, that that would be again, that would be the appropriate. You can see what we've done with other people, unfortunately for them. But um, can we can we have Rami send a, a letter to these people? Because I'm sure they don't even know that they're responsible for those sidewalks. Yeah, I mean, I think what I would recommend again. Sending a letter, I think Rami should probably try to knock on the doors and have a conversation with him, or, um, yeah, a very directed conversation with them, uh, specifically just letting them know that what's uh, what's going on. And, and maybe again, some of these may have at some point gotten permission or gotten an easement. Um, we didn't formalize that easement process until about three or four years ago, so. It is possible that there they may have some information. So before we send letters out accusing them of being in violation, I would, I would. No, I wasn't suggesting that. that. I was just suggesting <laughs> an FYI. Well, I know, but sometimes the letters that come out um, have <laughs> right. a tendency to be <laughs> accusatory in nature. So that's why I said a very specific directive to to Romney to go out and um, you know just kind of find out what the status is with those individual properties. And then. Have the city administration follow up with their encroachment. Yeah, if there if there's a situation where they haven't or they haven't gotten approval for it, then um, and again, it's more just a, a it's more just a, an instance of being fair and equitable to those other residents that we have required to go through that process. Um, I know it's an inconvenience, but it is uh, unfortunately a requirement. All right, so then that, that leads me into the snow removal on 11 mile, which I know council has talked about a lot over the last four or five years. Um, I think when we last talked about it, it was you know determined that that was actually the road commission's, uh, oh, yeah, the road commission's responsibility. Them that, which and, I'm not delegated to Oakland County. Yeah. Oakland County said, nope, it's the city's problem. Yeah, yeah. and so, um, so then we, I know we had said it at some point, then we were going to get our DDA cleanup crew to just take care of it. And then when we went to hire a DDA cleanup crew, we couldn't get anybody to apply for the job. So, 
So we still have the problem. I, I've, I've received a lot of complaints about 11 Mile Road, uh, people walking on it, and the snow is, is not cleared. So I wanted to bring that up as, as, you know, to discuss and see if we can come up with some type of potential solution. And then wanted to lead that into also, you know, we, we have a full-time code enforcer, and uh, although I think he's out right now. He's been out for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, I just want to make sure that, you know, a couple of days after after it snows that, that he's out there making the rounds to make sure you know people are clearing their walks because it's the uh, you know I think probably about 20% of the, the walkways sidewalks are not are not cleared as a regular walker. I see it all the time and it's always the same. It's always the same houses. Well so. in terms of 11 mile uh, the DDA actually does um, we took over the Excel contract for um, for all, really all maintenance for 11 miles. So it includes the, the mowing and fertilizing during you know, the spring summer. And it is supposed to be also the plowing and salting of those sidewalks. So um, I, I will be having a conversation with them as to why they didn't do that. Um, Can you follow up and let us know um, at our next meeting or send us an email? Yes, thank you. Okay. And then a lot of these last little things, I, I realize you guys are, you know, swamped. And I, I just want to, some of these that have been on, on the list for follow-up for a long time, I just want to bring them up. So if you, you guys do have time, you can look at them. I know they're not all going to get addressed right away. And some of them we've been talking a lot for a while. And this is a no, no list of important, uh, order of no importance. But um, uh, still want to make sure that we, we get some type of uh, additional detail in the C-Clicks fix reporting eventually in, in, in the packet. Um, we also talked about about six months ago, and then I think I brought it up about four months ago again, um, you know, part of the uh, road and road proposal was to also, you know, use code enforcement for obvious ditch issues. And we were going to talk about, uh, I think it might have been with the last council, we talked about having Rami, you know, kind of trained to be able to Look at the other 19 miles that aren't getting paved, and you know where where appropriate, um, you know, uh, make the make get make those ditches get fixed. You know, roots, things like that that are that are blocking uh, the flow of water. Um, we had talked about. I know this was with with Cheryl, and never heard anything back. Um, but we had also talked about um, asking MDOT. Road Commission, whoever, Scott, correct me, um, to raise the, if they see if they could raise the curb over on 11 mile on the entrance into uh, 696 going westbound to prohibit the cut through traffic coming out on, on Meadowbrook. Because what people do is they go through there and then they just, it's like a split little ramp and they cut onto the, onto the downward ramp when it's supposed to be. Okay. Yeah, so when, when if it was a proper curve, then that would eliminate all the cut through traffic. There's a pretty simple solution. So we brought that up about, I don't know, six months ago or so and never heard back. I know Cheryl was going to check with either MDOT or. I would, <laughs> think, I would think that that's an MDOT concern yeah. since it's, you know, the entrance ramp. So it's. Right? Is that what I'm, am I imagining? Yeah, so if you're, if, you're going, if you're going south on Southfield to turn right on 11, you're going to go down onto the highway. That, buffer area to your right yeah, is yeah. is a smooth ramp that people can it's just an inch or two and people can use easily just pop right over it scott you probably see it all the time um so it was resident suggested asked me to suggest uh putting a regular curb on it 
Uh, I know we we talked about, and I'm sure you guys haven't had a chance to look into it yet, but some looking into so it doesn't get dropped the customer service software. And I know Cheryl was also looking into um, some text blasting um, as well. So if we can keep that on your list when we have time. Um, do want to give a, a shout out to the, the the staff and our and our city planners. Um, I don't know if it's been how well it's been communicated, but we have received uh, three rather large grants recently. Um, so one of them was uh, for about two hundred thousand dollars, more than two hundred thousand dollars for storm sewer televising. I think that one was was publicized, but we also have uh, uh, we got a two hundred forty two thousand dollar grant for uh, lead excavation work. Mm -hmm. And then a uh, $212,000 grant we just got recently that'll help us defray the costs of, of uh, part of the 11 mile road fix that we need to do. So that's all, all great news. Um, and then transitioning that into infrastructure, a couple of things. Um, I just wanted to verify, um, you know, we had a water main break last December that calls, um, who was a subcontractor for consumers broke. And I want to make sure that we're making sure that they pay for that water main break, not us. And then along the same lines, I know several months ago we asked for verification that the for last summer's work that the uh, DDA approach work, the culverts that were done, uh, the code enforcement, the DPW parking lot, and all that was reimbursed back into the millage fund because that shouldn't be taken out of the millage fund. So I know you were looking into that. I just want to make sure just get a confirmation that that's been done. That's enough for now. <laughs> uh, anyone else have any council comments? Questions? Oh, hearing none, then. Um, I do have a question. You said you lost an employee today. Is there any update on that? Oh, she was, she was let go today. So we're short another staff member? Mm -hmm. Um, and I did send the, um, I don't know if you saw it, I did send the request for uh, if they did temporary <laughs> hires to the um, staffing company that's over in Southfield. Any other questions, concerns? Hearing none, I'll take, uh, I guess we can be adjourned. I don't have to do a motion, right? Okay, well, adjournment. <laughs> <laughs>